tell us about your story credit. You said that there were three things that went into your idea of the conscience about nuclear arms. Samantha Smith's death, mm -hmm. the Gorbachev thing, and there's a third. The, I, I did, I did a, a documentary, um, narrated a documentary and did wraparound interviews, uh, a program that some children had made called A Message to Our Parents, which is a film made by 12-year-olds about their fears of growing up in a nuclear age, and this is what sparked the idea for the story. It's nice to see the character take on a global responsibility, even though mm -hmm. his father warned him in the first picture not to try and do that. Well, that's the whole dilemma. Every now and again, eventually, you got to throw away the handbook when you see that, that people need. You know, when do you? At what point do you play by the rules, and at what point do you answer the needs of the people around you? I think that's something that that uh, you know people can easily understand. Welcome back to a brand new, exciting episode of Not That Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed or even bankrupt film companies. Brad, we're, we started this little trend last week when we had the amazing Zoe from the Backlook Cinema Podcast on talking about Masters of the Universe. And specifically, we were talking about the Canon Film Group and its demise. And that discussion led to this week's film. Uh, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, we're talking about 1987 superhero film, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Which is the fifth installment yes, of the Superman they, series? Yes, they count Supergirl as the fourth film in the Batman series. What? In Batman. the Batman series? I'm uh, sorry, Superman series. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird? Wow. <laughs> Super Batgirl. Exactly. Well, and everybody knows that familiar voice. Our our good cool. friend from Watch Skip Plus, Jose, is on. Uh, how you how you doing this week, Jose? I'm doing good. I uh, attended a work conference. It's uh, been a little interesting. The rest of my week might be hell, yeah. but it's it. But I'm doing good. It's good. That's how it works. So, boy, we're back to the real world where we go to work conferences again. I did not miss those. Have, mm -hmm. have you gone to work yet, Brad? Post pandemic. <laughs> Like, like in general or <laughs> like, like in general, I don't, I, yeah. Like tw I've had to, to give two presentations in, in person and I actually have to do one on Thursday this oh, week. So, okay, cool. Excellent. So before we jump into Superman for the quest for peace, I, I thought it'd be really interesting to level set, um, everybody's opinion on this character. So this is a beloved comic book character. It's had a bunch of different film iterations so I, I don't know where you stand on this character in terms of like comic book favorites, et cetera. But I'm going to start with you, Jose. I mean, what, what's your take on Superman? Are, are you a fan of the character or maybe not the comics, the movies or vice versa? So <clears throat> I never really followed the comics. Uh, I definitely tangentially got into comic books through my brother and he was a big Marvel image comics person. So I would read things like Spawn, the X-Men, um, uh, Grendel, if any of you know what that is, Mage, yeah, okay. um, Matt Wagner. Um, so, but I fell in love with obviously the movies, but also all the different TV iterations. So like the one with Stacey Heideck, uh, I think it was called Lois and Superman, Smallville, obviously I was, a, I watched all of those seasons and obsessed over it. 
Um, so yeah, I love the I love the Superman character. He might not be my favorite, um, but I do I do love soups. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Brad? I know I know you love comic books. Do you do you come to this mythos from the comic book world or the movie world, or do you just not care about this character? I'm a little indifferent on Superman. I, I find him very uninteresting. The fact that he's all powerful can basically do everything. Um, it's not really relatable. Now, of course, a billionaire uh, vigilante isn't relatable either, but at <laughs> least he has a vulnerability. Superman just never really spoke to me. Um, I, I think it was like the all American clean cut feel that Superman kind of personifies, even though he's basically the world's like, he's like an alien to our planet. Um, I, I, I just never really got into it. Now I, I did really, uh, I remember growing up, I had a VHS of that old animated Superman from, I think it was in the forties. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I think they and, just re-released that on Blu-ray here, right? Yeah. In a special edition yeah. cleaned it up. So I had that and watched that um, a lot when I was younger. Um, but the movies I was never uh, big into. But I remember, you know, they the intro to the to the uh, animated shorts were you know would show his powers, and I would always remember him saying that Superman, you know, leaps fall, uh, tall buildings in a single bound. So he never really was supposed to fly. He just could jump really high um, <laughs> and that was kind of his flying. But yeah, I was always more of a Marvel guy anyway. Like the X-Men was, was something that I gravitated to just because like it was, they were going through changes and that was when they got their mutant powers and all that stuff. And I was going through changes around the same time. So it was relatable, but yeah, Superman just never really spoke to me. I, I think it was just the encompassing. I can do basically anything just made it not really interesting to me. Yeah. Brad brings up a good point. Like if you're all powerful like that, like what story is there to tell? <laughs> like, you know, and there have like over the past, there have been some really good storylines with oh, yeah. Superman. Like the death of Superman, I think is really a cool story. Oh yeah. Um, if like there's always these what ifs with if Spider-Man fell into Russia and he was like this Russian um kind of did you say Spider-Man? Superman. If okay. Superman like was I fell think into you did Russia. say Spider-Man. Sorry, actually. sorry. I'm, so I'm, you are a comic book. You are you're putting every other comic messed. book character. Because <laughs> I, I like Superman is at the bottom of my list. So I'll put but you know, like if he was like in Russia or whatever, well, how would he go then? Um but yeah, I look, if you if you grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, you were probably and, and if you're, you know, boy, you're probably a fan of the Super Friends cartoon, which had all the DC characters. And and I got to say, a, as cool as the superheroes were, it was the villains um, that were also super awesome, especially in animated series. And in the first Superman film in 78, it was a big deal. And uh, going to see that in the theater was an event, not the event that Star Wars, you know, ended up becoming, but but it still pop culture wise had that uh, feel to it in terms of importance. And while my first two comic books were probably DC and Marvel, it was the Defenders and Weird War Tales. So Weird War Tales was a DC thing, horror comic. 
I, I did every once in a while just read some Superman comics, but I was never, so to your point, Brad, it was never really just a big fan of Superman, the comic, or even the character, him being all powerful, et cetera. But I, but I did like his villains. Um, and I, I did like Lex Luthor, uh, but you know, he had some crazy stuff with Bizarro, Brainiac. Uh, he had an interesting cadre of, of villains that he went up against, but man, that movie, I mean, was just a big deal because when you think about um, a comic book iteration going to the big screen, the John Williams score, Christopher Reeve, who just at that time embodied Clark Kent and Superman, uh, you, you just you instantly fell in love with that character, in, in my opinion, through the Warner Brothers films. So it's and really... The, and the special effects. I mean... yeah. You know, I think the tagline for the poster was like, what, you will believe a man can fly or, or something along those lines. Yeah. But, and even when it was on TV, because it came out in 78, I was, I was born in 74. But I remember as a kid growing up, they stretched it out over two nights on ABC. And it was like, stop the world, Superman's on TV, we're watching. It, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. There's a uh, actual a TV version, a much longer TV version. I can't remember the runtime on it. I don't remember if it was four hours or something, but it, it was kind of like King Kong when it came out. It was a big deal yeah. when it came out on TV because there was a whole extended cut that was you know carried over to two nights. So Fantastic. And, and, and again, your superheroes you found on TV with the Incredible Hulk maybe on mainstream, that's where Marvel was at. So it's sort of a big deal. Now this wasn't, you know, 78 was not the first Superman film. I think the first one's in the forties mm -hmm. and uh, you yep. can, you can actually see that if you buy that new 4k edition of uh, the Superman films, they've got a release of that first Superman film on there, I think as a special feature. Like the Kurt Allen, was it Kurt Allen who did Superman? Yeah. I can't remember. I like, uh, the uh, the other thing that kind of got me into Superman a little bit was when Batman the animated series became super successful. Superman had his series. I don't I don't think it was as good, but I still watched it off and on um, post college and and enjoyed the animation style to it and everything. But yeah, he's I can't say I'm a huge fan, but there's iterations or little properties that would pop up that I like. Uh, was it George Reeves that was on the TV show? Because I do remember watching reruns of the black and white television show. I think so. I mean, okay. I'm just, I'm I'm not the expert. I'm not. <laughs> and even Smallville, I, I couldn't, I, I Rosenbaum, um, Michael Rosenbaum was a good friend of uh, one of my good friends. And so we, we interacted and hung out every once in a while, but I could just never get into Smallville. So I always, uh, I always I felt it. bad. So. I loved it. Uh, but this one, man, this one has a history. And uh, I cannot wait to dive into it. The, the, again, one of my favorite things about doing a podcast like this isn't just talking about the film, but talking about all the stuff that happened behind the film, right? Boy, this one's a doozy. So uh, Brad usually kick it off with a lot of the numbers in the box office and what it costs. So um, let's let's go down memory lane here and talk about when this film was released in the theaters. Yeah, so Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, releases July 24th, 1987, with a reported budget of $17 million. Now, I will say Wikipedia has it making $38 million. Everything that I found had it at $15.68 million. So it doesn't even make its uh, production budget back. It, was there a um, distinction between domestic and international? There or? was no international on uh, Box Office Mojo, so maybe that's the international Okay. Um, but for a little context, I went back and pulled the budgets and the 
uh, box office for the previous three films. Mm-hmm. The Superman from 1978 had a $55 million budget. Does anyone know what it made? $300 million? It's $300 million. So that $55 million budget today equates to $229 million. So it was a pretty big budget. And a Superman huge 2, <laughs> yeah, Superman 2 had a $54 million budget. It made $190 million. So still a pretty big hit, but substantially less than the first one. Right. Superman 3 from 1983, $39 million, $80 million box office. So again, the the budgets are getting smaller. The returns are getting much smaller as well. So um, basically kind of doing half, half, and half. Mm. And now we have, we'll say 38 because that's what is on Wikipedia, $38 million return. And I I think the reviews would have followed suit to the budget, right? I believe so. Yes. The first two are pretty much considered to be classics. Uh, You throw Richard Pryor in there for number three. And then you get to this one. So we'll see. Um, Opening weekend, it makes $5.68 million. That's good enough for fourth place. It gets beat by RoboCop, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves re-release, Summer School, and then it's uh, Batman 4, or Superman 4. God, I did it again. And then (laughs) La Bamba, round out your top five. La Bamba! (laughs) And not only is Superman 4 a box office bomb but critically does anyone know um does anyone cheat? 20 23 yeah I, di- I didn't think it was in the teens i thought it was like hovering low 20s is that right no 10 percent. 10 10 percent. ouch oh that hurts yeah so it's got 51 reviews from critics so that means five of them are positive huh. ouch huh okay and did you did you find out who those critics were? I did not. I did I'd not love to know who they were. <laughs> I did not. I did not go that far. And then okay. uh, with the audience, sixteen percent, and that's with over fifty thousand reviews. Ooh, oh, so not not great. And films you could have seen July of nineteen eighty seven. We have Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, Inter- I love it. Inner Space, Made to Order, Revenge of the Nerds two. The Squeeze, Jaws for the Revenge, <laughs> RoboCop, Summer School, The Lost Boys, and the big one, The Living Daylights. Mm. Ooh, Timmy Dalton. We'll have to talk about Jaws 4 sometime, too. That, that'll that be an interesting... Oh, gosh. Please, God, what a strange film, especially the alternate ending issue. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the people who made the film real quick. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few names. I'll kick it over to you, Jose, because I know you do an immense job in terms of researching below the line or, or behind the camera. Yeah. But just, just a couple names to stick out here. So this one is directed by Sidney J. Fury. Now, we'll... We'll talk about production and development shortly. Uh, he was not the first choice, but Sydney is very much a uh, worker director. So if you go back and, and look at his resume in his selected filmography, I mean, he's worked with Michael Caine on the Ipcris Files. Ipcris Files, I think said that correctly. Marlon Brando on um, The Apollosa. And, and leading up to this, he was working on films like Iron Eagle from 86, uh, then did Superman in 87, followed that up with Iron Eagle 2 in 88. And then, you know, he's he's working on just these mid-budget films, like The Taking of Beverly Hills with Ken Wall that came out in 91, which is a fun little diehard ripoff, I guess. 
And uh, even early 90s, he's working with Ronnie Dangerfield on the hey, soccer Hey, I'm just coaching soccer. Yeah, ladybugs. <laughs> so, uh, this, nothing, Troy? Nothing on my Ronnie nothing, Dangerfield? Nothing, nothing at all. Okay. No, not Very as good as your Steven Seagal. Um, all right, let's talk. I loved it. Thank you, Jose. Okay. <laughs> Story by Christopher Reeves. So that's important. Remember that. Okay, because we're going to talk about that in a second. Mm. Uh, there's two other names on story by Lawrence Connor, Mark Rosenthal. Now Lawrence and Mark wrote the screenplay. They were picked because they actually had some successful screenplays that they were working on in the eighties. So they did stuff like legend of Billie Jean and yes. uh, jewel of the Nile, the sequel yes. to romancing the stone. <laughs> uh, but if, if you look at the rest of their filmography, it's kind of interesting. They've worked together quite a lot and have worked on like star Trek prop- properties like star Trek six, the undiscovered country, uh, since we're, since we love monkey movies here, they did the screenplay for mighty Joe young in 98 and, and planet of the apes in 2001. Yeah. Uh, yes. and, and also again, we're Nick cage fans. They did the sorcerer's apprentice in 2010. So really, really interesting resume for those two. This film is produced by Menachem Golem and Yoram Globus. Now we talked about them in detail at the last episode when Zoe was on, we had Masters of Universe um, discussion. And the other name I want to point out before I kick it over to you, Jose, is the visual effects supervisor and second unit director is somebody we've talked about on the show before. It's Harrison Ellenshaw. And specifically, we talked about his work when we discussed 1979's The Black Hole because he was nominated for an Oscar for best effects for that film. And he's also worked on stuff like Tron in 1982. But that's all I wanted to give detail on. So I'll kick it over to you, Jose. Were there any other names below the line that you thought were important in, in relation to this film? I mean, you pretty much covered it. By the way, when when you guys talked about uh, Menachem Golan and, and Yoram Globus, Yoram Globus being his cousin, I didn't realize they were. I must have missed that in the documentaries. But um, I can't believe you missed that Menachem Golan directed The Apple. Oh. You forgot to mention uh, that. Yeah. Which... I Fuck think is guy. I think it, Brad has PTSD. <laughs> I think it takes uh, the Breaking Brad title, right? Mm, so far, the, yep. So far, yeah. So far, that's cool. And and I swear, in one of the scenes at the end of this movie, where he's giving the speech about, where Superman's giving the speech about like world peace or whatever. Yeah. I think it's in the same area or convention center where the the BIM corporation was. It could be it, the if giving I of the apple. If I. If my research proved anything, um, the whole United Nations scene and, and stuff out was like a parking lot in Canada or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal. They both started in television. You're right. They worked a lot together. I just wanted to also point out that they eventually went back to television. So they both wrote the updated remake of Roots. And then Connor wrote individual episodes for The Sopranos and eventually wrote the screenplay for The Many Saints of Newark, um, which had come out recently. Um, Fury, you're correct. Uh, He's uh, actually, he started in Canada. He has a couple amazing footnotes on his resume. He directed the first two features ever to be made in English Canada. Yes, there's a English Canada and there's a French Canada. Um, But he did that in the 60s and then he moved to London and directed five films in one year, including um, The Ipcris File, which won a BAFTA for Best Picture. And additionally, he did a movie featuring Cliff Richard, who's known as the sort of like British Elvis Presley. And weird side note, 
my family took me to see Cliff Richard because as a little boy, I was obsessed with his songs and would sing them <laughs> whenever they came on the radio. So oh, I've cool. seen Cliff Richard live, y'all. Um, and then also most notably, when he returned to the States, the Brando movie directed Sinatra and the Naked uh, Runner. He directed the classic Lady Sings the Blues. Yes. And then there's a film he directed, uh, The Boys in Company C, which eventually became the basis for Kubrick's um, Full Metal Jacket. And don't forget, he also directed The Entity, which is one of his more or his other genre work. And then I just also wanted to point out, since I had just recently listened to the amazing Not a Bomb Dead Heat episode, but Terry Black wrote Dead Heat. And uh, he also wrote episodes for a show called 18 Wheels of Justice, which had me laughing. And then even when I discovered it was a real show, I was laughing. But Fury directed um, two episodes on that series. We, ha we have to check that out. We have to yes, find it somehow. We That's got to be like a Night Living podcast, Watch Kit Plus, not a bomb yes. crossover. It must. It sounds amazing. Um, and then I just wanted to mention uh, our DP is Ernest Day. He's a British cinematographer. He, uh, in addition, to, in addition to shooting 1972's Running Scared, directed by David Hemmings, who's the star of Antonioni's Blow Up, which is a great movie. Mm -hmm. He lends Revenge of the Pink Panther, Sphinx, David Lean's A Passage to India. He was a second unit and an uncredited DP on Rambo Three. He uh, shot Bob Balaban's Parents, which is sort of underappreciated if you haven't seen that with Randy Quaid. And then he also ran second unit on a few Bond films and De Palma's Mission Impossible. So great eye, maybe messed up by cheap special effects. I don't know, um, on this film. And then the uh, the production designer is John Graysmark, who I love. We actually discussed him on uh, the Not a Bomb episode where we looked at Paul Schrader's Dominion. He was the production designer for that. Oh, wow. He has also done films like Ragtime, The Bounty, Life Force, which has great production design. Gorillas in the Mist, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Stephen Hopkins' Blown Away, and Courage Under Fire. Love it. I, you know, is it fair to say that behind the camera, below the line, there's some pedigree there. There, yes. there really is some talent. I mean, you got the guy who directed Iron Eagle, for goodness sakes. I know. Well, I so, know. Which is an amazing film. <laughs> so let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Brad, I actually want to start with you because you made a comment about uh, Christopher Reeve, Soups. You're not a fan. Um, just in general, I, I mean, what is your opinion of Christopher Reeve as an actor, even outside of the Superman character? Well, I, I did go back and revisit the other three prior to this. And I, I will say, I think the thing that Christopher Reeves gets right out of any actor I think I've seen who portrays Superman is the Clark Kent side. I don't think any actor has, has done Clark Kent better than Christopher Reeve. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> after, but like outside of say Superman, I, uh, he's fine. I think he is uh, a very square jawed middle, like very American, very sort of every man, if you will, kind of boy next door, or, which makes him perfect for Superman. Um, but I'm not really into Christopher Reeves that much. Like if you ask me what my favorite Christopher Reeves movie is, I don't know if I really have one. Oh, really? So Maybe Village of the Damned. Okay. What about what about okay. you, Jose? I mean, him him Ugh. as the Superman character, or even outside of that. I there's one film that he's done that I or actually two. 
I'm going to guess you're a big fan of only because mm. I know of your love for stage work. Yes. So can I guess? Probably. I, I'm well, first of all, I was going to say Christopher Reeve isn't, I mean, he's, he's not like Brando. He's not a showy actor, right? So there's not going to be any like, you know, acting gymnastics that he does. I think he's more emotional, sensitive, very good looking. I absolutely love him in Death Trap. That's the one. With Michael Caine. And then Somewhere in Time. Oh, I see, think I, everybody I loves Noises Somewhere Off in Time. would be the other one that you really like. Oh, yes. Obviously, yes. Yes, yes. I do like that one. But as a Christopher Reeve, as Christopher Reeve performances, I think Somewhere in Time and Death Trap definitely rank up there. And then I think we're going to cover this in the in the sort of development process. Street Smart. Yes. With him and Morgan, Morgan Freeman. I mean, he is a revelation just because he plays almost against type in some of the little unethical traps he steps into in that movie. Yeah. yeah. um, Okay. (laughs) Now that you mentioned street smart, I think, yeah, I, I kind of love that movie. So maybe I would pick street smart. Well, it's, so he has a really interesting filmography. If you look at it, I mean, he comes, he'd been acting before, but Superman just put him in the limelight. Right. So he does that one, follows it up with somewhere in time, which I think is a great film then does Superman 2 in 1980, then does Death Trap in 1982, then does Superman 3. So you can see him trying to kind of stretch his acting chops in between the Superman films. And I know we talked about Street Smart. Uh, I mentioned Noises Off. That's a fun one. There's um, there's one film, though, that I really love him in. And I, I think that whole sort of uh, square Clark Kent version but very suave really plays off is uh switching channels from 1988 with burt reynolds and kathleen turner which is a remake of the front page and his girl friday so if you haven't seen that little comedy from the late 80s i think he's amazing in it that movie's super funny but reeves really just um takes that straight arrowed clark kent but adds a little I don't know, class to him and, and douchiness. And he's really funny in that film, (laughs) but I just feel like they overshadowed him in that movie though, which is probably why it slipped my mind because the, obviously the attraction is, you know, well, Bert's amazing in it. Come on. Yeah. And Reynolds Uh, and even Ned Beatty's in that, right? Yeah. In Ned Beatty. Okay. And, And the other one that I really like him in, and I think it was an HBO film, but it was above suspicion in 1995. And it's a good yeah. little thriller that's that he's in as well. Now, he had his accident uh, May 27th, 1995. He was thrown from his horse and broke his neck, and he was left paralyzed from the neck down. He still continued to act, though. So he did a version of um, Rear Window in uh, 1998, which was a TV version, and then a couple episodes of Smallville, but unfortunately, he passed away in, in 2004. So... Yeah. There's a couple of other big names here. Uh, The next one is Lex Luthor himself, Gene Hackman. He's also the voice of Nuclear Man. Just a refresher, Gene Hackman is an Oscar winner for Best Supporting Actor in 1992's Unforgiven. He won an Oscar for Best Actor in 71 for The French Connection. You're still picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) And and he was nominated for Best Actor in 88's Mississippi Burning. And then he had... Two other nominations for Best Supporting Actor in 1970s, I Never Sang for My Father in 67's Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Jose, I'll start with you. Gene Hackman fan or just- Love, love, love Gene Hackman. I mean, everything. Everything from Enemy, Enemy of the State to even, um, what's the train movie? Narrow Margin. 
Yes. Sorry. Love that. The film. train movie. Um, yeah, he's I mean, he's like one of those actors where whatever he's in, he's sure to give in a good performance, even if the movie sucks, i.e. this one. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, hey, he did a movie with Dan Aykroyd called Loose Cannons, and I was so excited because he was in it, but oh my gosh, that movie is terrible. It's yes. it's pest level terrible. Uh, um what, uh, uh, no, okay. we're not reviewing. No, no way. <laughs> I think we have a difference of opinion on how amazing the past is. Oh my God. Uh, Brad, Gene Hackman thoughts. Yeah. I, I was looking at his filmography. I think it was 1995. He does, uh, get shorty crimson tide in the quick and the dead, Yeah, which is an amazing 95. Like I think crimson tide is one of those films that people don't appreciate enough. Um, I think it's brilliant. Um, so and then like, a fun movie that they don't make anymore is enemy of the state with him and Will Smith. I think it is the perfect Saturday afternoon. It's on four o'clock on cable. I'm sitting down and I'm watching me enemy of the state. Um, <laughs> I think that's a fun movie. Um, pretty great in it. Um, and then, you know, he would kind of get into the John Grisham uh, kind of yep. films and he would do runaway jury, which I like quite a bit. So yeah, Gene Hackman is, is pretty good. Um, Oh my God. Speaking of enemy of the state, I can't believe the conversation, which oh, yeah, uh, oh gosh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. he appeared to have been playing the same sort of character from enemy of the state, but like the conversation is so great. And I also forgot, I saw it on TV as a kid, the Poseidon adventure. My yes. God, he was He's so, got so many amazing roles. Amazing. He, he yeah. just really classes up anything. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love him, love him to death. Uh, we got Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. My favorite thing, my favorite, sorry, my favorite thing about the conversation is Francis Ford Coppola beat Francis Ford Coppola for best director that year because it was Godfather 2. So, oh, yeah, know. that's right. How Bizarre. baller can you be? To be <laughs> I know. You There's beat five, yourself. five best picture nominees. You have two of them and you beat yourself. Pretty, he's, he's one director. Awesome. I, I feel like he's got one more really good film in him. I'm just, that Metropolis movie or whatever, I'm really excited for it. Yeah. I'm excited too. Okay. On to Margot Kidder, Lois Lane. Man, she has an interesting filmography kind of leading up to this sisters in 72 black Christmas in 74. So, you know, doing some genre stuff, the Superman in 78, and then follows that up with the Amityville horror in 79, uh, around the time that Superman four came out, she, she was not a huge draw. So she was, I don't know if they're necessarily independent, but keeping track in 1986 body of evidence in 88 and mob story in 89. So very, very limited theatrical release. Uh, continuing on, we've got Jackie Cooper as Perry White. Now, if you're a Little Rascals fan, you'll, you'll know him. He's yes. a child actor. We've got Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen. So he's been in all the films, including Supergirl. So he's been in all five. Uh, most people will know him as Marty's older brother from Back to the Future. Yes. Uh, now, this one I, I just want to ask everybody about because... <laughs> this this actor was to bring in the younger crowd, okay? And so they bring in John Cryer as Lenny. So leading up to this, he had done Pretty in Pink in 86 as Ducky, and then he ends up doing this film. Where, where does everybody land on John Cryer? Um, literally, he just went from set to set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. He just carried that over. I was like, oh, it's Ducky. <laughs> <laughs> with the valley I mean, girl he, he was in hot shots so he gets a pass from me as washout yeah love him yep. and then the, what is it that the, the t- two 
two men and a Charlie Sheen. What was it? Oh, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half men. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we don't have to worry about John Cryer. He has plenty of money. Well, yes, and, he does. and what's super interesting is he ends up playing Lex Luthor in the Supergirl series that ran from 2019 to 2021. So he goes from That's Lenny right. Luthor to Lex Luthor later in his career. I did not the know C- that. Yeah. Wow. The CW okay. did a lot of that weird stuff. Like on Smallville, Christopher Reeve shows up as I think a villain scientist yes. actually. He did a couple and episodes. So, and so does like Margot Kidder. She's like his associate or something. So they, they played around with a lot of that, but it's, it's like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you're an adult watching this teen show, you'll get it. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. A uh, couple other names. We've got Mariel Hemingway as Lacey Warfield. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in 1979 uh, for Woody Allen's Manhattan. And last but not least, we've got Mark Pillow as Nuclear Man, former Chippendales wow. dancer. Uh, okay, now, no surprise. Yeah. No surprise. Here's where it even gets strange. If, if you go to IMDb, they have some trivia about him. He says uh, he's now a sales representative at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits in Houston, Texas. <laughs> well, I'm going to go and buy some wine and spirits. There you go. Mark Pillow raised my spirits. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm sure he did. Uh, maybe oh. you'd like to maybe you'd like to have a little bit of pillow talk with him. Oh. Yes, please. Also. Why didn't we think of him when we were making Masters of the Universe? I don't know. He might have. He might have made a good email over Dolph Lundgren. No, I, no l- sir. Look, 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 I love Dolph Lundgren, but imagine an alternate universe where there's no Dolph Lundgren, but Mark Pillow plays He-Man. Well, it might have worked with Gene Hackman's if, voice. <laughs> if you give me the gay version and it's Masters of the Gay Universe, Mark Pillow is definitely your guy. You're yeah, right. You're I'll right. give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the juicy stuff: the production and development. Okay, here we go. So Alexander Salkin and his son Ilya, the producers of the Superman series, plan to produce a fourth installment if Superman 3 grossed at least $40 million. The film received an unexpectedly negative reaction, but still ended up making $80 million, just like you said, Brad. You're welcome. (laughs) Good research. (laughs) Reed was also hesitant to return to the series as Superman, bowing out from the planned cameo that they had scheduled him for in Supergirl. He just didn't want to do it anymore. The Salkins announced plans for a fourth film regardless, but after the commercial failures of Supergirl and their next film, Santa Claus the movie, Oh Lord! It it caused a big financial strain, and they said, "Hey, we're done with the franchise. We got to get rid of it." So at the 38th Con Film Festival, Ilya agreed to sell the Superman franchise to Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus, the Canon Group, for five million dollars in June of 1985. Uh, can you imagine being able to buy Superman for five million dollars? Yes. Well, kind of like Twitter for a billion. <laughs> yeah. So here's where it gets interesting. The studio. Canon enticed Reed to return by offering him six million dollars. That was that was one financing for his pet project, Street Smart, because he really wanted to get that thing made, right? And approval over the story and director. So Reeve got to approve all of that. Now, keep in mind around this time period, and we talked a little bit about this at the last episode. Canon was kind of trying to do the Disney thing, and they were out there just buying a bunch of different franchises. So on top of Superman, around this time, they bought you know the rights for Spider-Man, Captain America, and of course, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Okay, so here we go. This is the juicy stuff. 
Reeve. As if all that wasn't juicy. Oh, it gets better. It gets so much better. <laughs> Reeve pitched a storyline focused on the nuclear arms race in protest of the breakdown of um, a certain summit that was going on about this time period. And President Ronald Reagan's military buildup and skepticism towards the arms control. His story was accepted and he was also considered as the film's director. Although he did shoot some second unit scenes every once in a while, he was ultimately deemed too inexperienced for the full-time job, right? So they go to Richard Donner and they say, hey, would you come back? And he says, nope, I'm not ready to go back to the series. They he said F no. Yeah, he said no way. <laughs> Wes Craven was originally hired by the Canon Films to direct the film, but unfortunately, him and Soups didn't get along. And so I wonder Chris, why. Yeah, Christopher Reeve ultimately is like, you got to bring in a new director. I'm I'm not doing it with Wes Craven. So um, although Christopher Reeve recommended Ron Howard, Sidney J. Fury was hired. So shortly before production began on September 27th, 1986, Canon reduced the budget because it was originally $36 million and it dropped to 17 million. Okay. So I don't think they had $36 million. I think that was the problem, right? That is the problem. Part of the problem was that Canon financed its film by selling the television and home video rights in advance, which failed with films of a budget of over 5 million. The studio had also gone six years without a major hit. The studio was narrowly saved from bankruptcy after a deal with Warner Brother Pictures to provide 75 million to repay its loans in exchange for distribution rights to its upcoming films, including Superman 4, which provided enough confidence in the studio for a $65 million line of credit. So they were in the hole. Warner Brothers comes on and says, we'll give you this much money. They used that money to bail themselves out and left a little bit for Superman 4 because that's what Warner Brothers was interested in. So... All this um, cost cutting, <laughs> this is where it really hurts. During the production, the filming and special effects crews of the first three films were replaced with cheaper Israeli crews. Hmm. Yeah. And then cutting costs also resulted in several injuries on set during the making of the film. John Lees, who is doubling for Nuclear Man, fell 25 feet when his harness cable snapped, shattering his left ankle and both heels. He Ooh. took Cannon to court and was awarded $422,000 in damages, okay? Now, here's the really interesting stuff. Prior to hitting theaters, Reeve, Cannon, and Warner Brothers were hit with a $45 million lawsuit from screenwriters Barry Taff and Kenneth Stoller, who attempted to stop the film's release and alleged that the actor, Superman himself, stole their idea to have Superman disarm the world's nuclear powers. So if you go back and look at all these interviews with Christopher Reeve around this time, he is just talking over and over again about where he got this idea, what inspired him to come up with the story for Superman four, but right before the film's release. And I guess he got served while he was going on the tonight show or something. And uh, he canceled all his appearances that week. But what happened was um, Reeve, who had rarely spoken in the film without immediately reminding interviewers that the story had been his idea, <laughs> took this accusation of plagiarism to heart. The suing writers had registered their treatment with the Writers Guild in 1985 and sent a copy to Christopher Reeve. While it couldn't be proven in court the actor had read their full treatment, there was evidence that his copy had been signed for at his home address 
and that Reeve actually called up one of the writers to confirm its receipt before he signed on to making Superman 4 with Canon. The case eventually kind of fizzled out because there's tons of arbitration and appeals. But um, yeah, it left a bad. Lawyer's going to lawyer. Yeah, it left a really (laughs) bad impression. And there were headlines like, you know, Superman steals and, and all this other stuff. But yeah. Uh, Christopher Reeve took one on the chin for that one because when it got out and and people actually looked at the copyrighted material from 85 versus his story credit and it was damn near identical. So yeah, he, he such prob- a bad footnote. Yeah, that's that's terrible. So, yeah, but those are all and the look what look what it produced. Look what it produced. <laughs> well, okay. also, there's like 45 minutes missing from the final cut that they just destroyed the negatives. That well, that is correct. So um, there's a there is an amazing commentary on this by Mark Rose, Rosenthal, and uh, he essentially says that yeah, there, originally it was a 134 minute cut, and there were all these scenes. Apparently, there were iterations of Nuclear Man that that Gene Hackman had uh, that there was a, sort there was of a like first version hatched. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was even a second one, I think, and then you know, and then all this other stuff about how nuclear man might've been in love with Mariel Hemingway and, and all of this. And it all just got cut um, yeah. because they, as Cryer says, he claims the reason why the cut is so short is because Cannon ran out of money during the production and they didn't have the money to finish the rest of it. So they just cut everything out and released an 83 minute or 90 minute movie. Ridiculous. Well, yeah. And it also loves 90 less than 90 minute. Films yeah. 90 too. minutes there because they want as many theatrical showings during the day for ticket revenue. So they do not like two hour. And, and yeah. there's tons of rumors about, you know, that cut, not testing. Well, Canon only wanting a 90 yeah. minute film. They ran out of money. Apparently there is a comic book adaption that DC put out of the actual screenplay. That's supposed to be really good. Yeah. And if you've bought any of the recent special editions, especially that 4k, I think there's about 30 plus minutes that actually are in good shape. And you can see that on the special edition of Superman four, but if you don't want to go buy it, but you're, you're curious, it's actually on YouTube and um, somebody actually went out and there's a sequence with the first nuclear man and they kind of cleaned it up with better special effects too. So you, well, you can right. see how can you get stuff. better special effects than what's in this movie? Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> some guy did it on um, his laptop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was that, um, you know, Canon at this time was the reason why they were making or making all these deals and trying to, unfortunately, you know, sell rights and borrow money thinking that they were going to make money was they were trying to go from what they were known for, which are these sort of like B grade, low budget, like actioners and sort of become a prestige studio. Mm -hmm. And they, unfortunately they spread themselves extremely thin. Like they had, I think Rosenthal was saying that they had like, like 10 other projects going at the same time as Superman four. And so, I mean, when you do that and you're, and you're used to pre-selling, that's why, you know, it, it never works for something over 5 million because when you pre-sell the rights and the distribution and future and TV and all that stuff, it's not as much as you think it's going to be. And if you, if you, you know, that's great for something low budget, but for something like this, it's, it's the, death now basically yeah and they, they had done a bunch of big purchases of actual studio real estate because they wanted to basically recreate the warner brothers lot etc yeah so at this time period they're just leveraged out no cash on hand 
Uh, and, you know, buying Spider-Man, Captain America, Masters, plus Superman, it's not cheap. You know, $5 million here, $6 yeah. million here. Uh, and no, and like having no cash flow either. So, mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. There, there was a rumor, too, that of that deleted footage, there was so much on the floor that they had considered. And there, I think, is a trade magazine uh, image floating around of a Superman 5 that yep. they were trying to pre-sell. And get this, what they thought they were going to do was take all that deleted footage and have Albert Pune make a fifth Superman film by just stitching it all together. Because that would have been better. <laughs> it would have been a, an amazing it Albert It might have Pune been better, film. actually. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been, yeah. <laughs> okay, how about we take a quick break and we dive into our thoughts on Superman 4. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay, we'll be back. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman. It's really exciting. Soon, very soon, Batman and I will be batapulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens. That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. The big screen gives us more space on land, sea, and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals that ever plotted to take over the world. Number one, the Riddler. Question, who's going to make the feathers fly and knock Batman and Robin out of the sky? Number two, the Joker. Have you heard this one? It'll kill you, Batman. <laughs> Number three, the penguin. There are two eggs this wily bird is going to scramble, Batman and Robin. <laughs> Number four, the catwoman. Oh, you're going to see the perfect crime when I get Batman in my claws. <laughs> and that's just a sample of the exciting exploits ahead in our first feature motion picture. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. back you know jose we'd usually start with our guest but you're not really a guest anymore you're, you're family Yay. um so what, I, I'm, I'm just really <laughs> curious where brad lands on this one because we haven't talked at all this week and i know i i think all of us went back and revisited all four of them right did we all watch them yep i did i did 
Okay. Well, Brad, I, I, I think maybe at the end of four, we'll go back and share our thoughts on the first three, but how, how was viewing Superman four? Well, after watching the first three, it, um, definitely stands out as, um, something that seems like it kind of just got shit out into the world. Um, <laughs> I love it. It, how the flying looks so much worse in 1987 as it did in 78. I have no idea. Um, Christopher Reeve, unfortunately looks like his charisma is gone. His everything in his performance as Clark Kent, which is something I thought he captured the best. Like, I think he's the best Clark Kent ever. In this one, it's like he is sleepwalking through this thing. Um, the whole Lenny, the nephew angle is bad. Um, the car he drives is the, the whimsicalness of, of this Superman film is so weird and off-putting. So at, at one end, you have like nuclear fallout from you know this this arms race that's going on, and then you have cops being like you know driven off a cliff and they like comically show their heads at the end and it's like you know like you're waiting for bugs bunny to show up or something it's just really weird i i do have a question about that so did watching part three um prepare me for this yes (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm just yes yes it did 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 it it as like a natural progression kind of make sense what they were doing or yeah it it did It, it and I don't understand it as uh, like on a business level because the first two were so successful and to completely change the formula is, is something I will not understand. And then of course you get Canon to come in here. And so now they're going to do it for super cheap and everything in here looks cheap. The special effects are, I mean, they pick up the statue of Liberty in this thing and it, I mean, it just is, everything is atrocious. And the problem with it is like we're flying because it's Superman. So we're going to be flying. We're going to be out in space and all that looks so bad, but we're doing it six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, like 15 times in this movie. Like we're flying a lot. So it stands out. Um, this film doesn't understand time zones because at one time we're in like Metropolis. They fly around the earth and they're on the Great Wall of China. Still sunny as it was in in uh, in New York, Metropolis, and uh, yeah, it it just it it's not a good movie because it is just so thrown together. Um, it, it reminds me when I was like when Max was learning how to read, and we would make him <laughs> cut out words and like paste them on a piece of paper as like a sentence, like "Hey, make a sentence with these words," and he would just kind of you know, haphazardly throw words together and it would kind of resemble a sentence, but it, you know, the words were a little bit out of order. That's kind of what this movie is. Like it, it looks like a movie. That That is the, I'm, ama- that's the most amazing analogy of a film. That's amazing. I love that. But I, I dig it. I totally dig it. But God damn it. This movie, I have seen Superman for the last probably 35 minutes so much because it was on cable all the time. And so when nuclear man shows up at the end and they're kind of having their, their battle battle in like a terrible choreographed, like two 
middle-aged men just kind of slap fighting. Yeah. Like bitch fighting each other. Um, it kind of got me, it kind of got that nostalgia going for me, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't let it get me. Cause I was like, you know what? This movie, it just sucks. Like it, it just, <laughs> it, again, it's just so thrown together and it does like Superman deserves better than this. And like, it was so bad that they put Superman in timeout until 2006. Yeah. Until Superman returns. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, what are your most iconic figures in American literature? Doesn't go, this isn't in a movie for over 20 years because of this movie being so bad. But yeah, I, God. Not a fan, huh? No, no. And Gene Hackman, like, he's so good in those first movies, like being Lex Luthor. But, oh, and don't even get me started. Lois in this movie. Lois sucks. Lois sucks so you've bad. Never, I, I get the feeling you've never been a fan of Margot Kidder in this role. No, from, okay. no. I, I've always hated her. And like, there's so many like threads that don't like the hostile takeover of the newspaper just gets like conveniently tied up at the end. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's, it just doesn't work for me. Okay. All right, Jose sucks. Well, sucks. <laughs> sucks. Okay. Yeah. I, I hey one word I like it. What what was your what was your experience revisiting this after watching the first three? So it is true that this was on cable a lot, and I watched it a ton because a it was always on and it was kind of entertaining. But you know, stacked up to the other three movies, this is just sad, 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 sad. Um, it's weird that you know. Obviously, I think one and two is sort of like the graphic novel treatment of Superman, right? But three and four, they went more comic book. And I guess the jarring tone of that and making it so much more comic booky in its sort of outlandish plots, like three, the whole computer and the cyborg and then the evil Superman and the fake kryptonite, like that's kind of straight out of the comics. And I think what they were trying to do was sort of expand the universe. It just, was not entirely successful as I often say Superman three and this one again, just it is a sad, sad comparison to the other three mainly because of its cheapness. I mean, even the titles are very, it's like the dollar tree version of the, of the Saul kind opening credits of the first film, you know, and the effects are so bad. I mean, it, I mean, they had, they didn't have much of a budget, so they keep repeating this shot of Superman flying towards the camera eight, eight or nine times. I think maybe nine. It's the same shot. Just, um, with different backgrounds. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of such um, harsh black lines around it too. Like that green screen is screaming. Yes. The green screen is awful, but it, it reminded me of, um, the filmation He-Man animated cartoon because basically they were animated in only certain ways and they just reused it for each like episode. Oh, yeah. So I'm they like, did that I'm, a lot for like eighties cartoons, just like oh, yeah. a way to, you know, fat Albert, all of yeah. it, all of it. Um, you know, I mean, actually the models weren't half bad. There are some shots here where the models are flying around that actually was, it was pretty good. But basically I think the kids today would call this basic as fuck, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not edgy. It's just like simple. It's like basic, right? 
there are some nice callbacks to the first movie. We're getting we get, a whole new audience now because you're throwing like the hip kid lingo in. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm doing it. But Superman four, basic bitch, wow. basic as fuck, exactly. And uh, you know, there's some nice callbacks to the first movie, like the visit to Smallville, the you know him and Lois. Uh, flying him getting back at the bully in the gym like some of that's really good but some of this is really cringy because it just comes off like a big public service announcement right like as if it wasn't bad enough that he stops the subway train and then he's like metro rail is still the safest way to travel and then he like flies off or whatever and then we get the whole nuclear arms thing which again if you read comics like i remember it the incredible Hulk did a thing on like AIDS and one of his friends dying from, from being HIV positive. So again, it's, it's comic booky doesn't quite work. Um, I liked where they were going with that, but then everything else around it is just awful. I mean, just really awful. Even if they presage things like women who are famous just because they're related to somebody, um, you know, cause Hemingway is like all men like me, I'm rich. Like literally it's, that's Paris Hilton, right? Um, and corporations taking over the media and then changing things. I mean, I love the headline Superman tells kid drop dead or something. Like <laughs> I laugh so hard. Every time I see that headline, when you read it, I'm like, Superman tells kid drop dead. Like, drop dead. Oh, God, Fuck off, I mean, kid. That is hilarious <laughs> to me, man. It's, it's incredible. Superman then, tells boy Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, and then, but then the whole luther thing and the nuclear man like even that whole thread if he is from the dna of superman then why does he shut down when there's no sun because superman's powered by the sun why can he shoot lasers out of his hand but superman can't do it like none of this absolutely none of this makes sense and again the you know brad brought it up these just bizarre touches like that threes company double date scene is so cringe like Ooh, i want to die sometimes when it's i rough. see it it's, yeah it's absolutely awful um, knock at our door. <laughs> exactly and then nuclear man takes lacy out into space and she's not <laughs> she's dead breathing. she's, she's not she's breathing well listen she's not exploding or anything I and mean, then uh, when there's an eclipse and he's like oh i'm i'm falling asleep then she starts to fall in space because there's gravity <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening. Also, isn't the dark side of the moon always dark? Well, that's because I, Earth and the moon rotate at the same. So we're always seeing the dark. So true. But I don't know that the sun would suddenly rise and then he would. And you mentioned also the Looney Tunes thing. At the end, Superman is like, she's not in here like Bugs Bunny, like in the oven. Right. And then he goes into the elevator and he traps him like this. All of this is super fucking ridiculous. This super powerful being gets trapped in an elevator. Yeah, there's no sunlight. Uh, yeah. But I will say that the slow mo WWE battle is kind of fun to watch <laughs> in a little like kind of crazy, campy, like kitschy kind of way. Um, and I know it sounds like I'm saying I think this movie is terrible, but I fucking love watching it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so it's so bad and awful. It's almost camp and kitschy and it's like adorably comic booky simplistic in its aims i mean literally it's the canon version of superman right 100 i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure what people were expecting but when you have canon and superman i mean this is oddly irrevocably and squarely on brand for canon and i think that's why i kind of enjoy watching it even though it's a train wreck 
I, so you make a really good point. And I think for those growing up in the eighties and you're like, Oh, I love enter the ninja. I love American ninja. I love invasion USA. You, you love all those action films, right? That they'd put out the minute that you found out Canon was doing Superman. What did you expect? What I know, what, did, what, what were you, what were you, when you were walking in, I mean, if, if ninjas popped out, I'd have been like, might be the greatest superhero movie ever. I don't now, know. That could have been cool. Yeah. But exactly. it's, it's exactly the level of production and filmmaking that Canon does, because no matter how amazing that 120 minute or 130 minute version could have been, right. It was never going to see the light of day when your production company is like, we do 90 minute movies here. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think it was a victim of expectations. But if you think about Canon, we got exactly what yeah, I, of whose expectations, because I love Canon films and it was exactly a Canon Superman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Through and through. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll, here, here's my take on it. Um, here's the good. Right. So I will say that this should be short. <laughs> well, no, I've, I've actually wah, got, I'm going to start with the good. Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and Superman, in my opinion, is still fun to wa- still fun to watch even on the fourth film. Right. So does it work every time? No, but I would say there's more hits than misses with him in that character uh, as Clark Kent and as Superman. I, I think he owns it. He knows he owns it. And I don't know if he's necessarily sleepwalking. I just know that he doesn't think there's too much interesting stuff going on, even though he quote unquote came up with the story. I think he is a little bored with some of the the stuff, but even what's given to him, especially the Clark Kent character, I, I think he still sells it. Um, Gene Hackman will always be Lex Luthor and he will always be the most fun villain to watch. I think his ego in that role is unmatched. And and for the little screen time that he's on there, which I think is the biggest drawback of the film, in my opinion, there's real comedic genius in this genius in this performance of a guy who looks down on everybody, including the most powerful person or or being on earth. And Gene Hackman's like, I'm above that. Yeah, they should have let Gene Hackman eat. Yes. Yeah. He he really <laughs> should have been given more scenery to chew. Because when he is given that scenery, it's I think he's fantastic in it. It's just yeah. I have a feeling there's a ton of Gene Hackman stuff on the cutting room floor. Well, I know there is because I watched yeah. the 30-plus minutes or whatever, and there's so much more Gene Hackman they could have used. But again, Canon wanted their 90-minute film. The John Williams music, even though you know he he's not conducting the orchestra this time, it's still his music. It sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, the credits do look like a dollar store version of the ones before it, but you throw that music on there and there's a pedigree to it. I mean, that John Williams theme slaps as the kids would yeah. say, or did they say oh, that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, okay. we are hip. We are super. Yes. Hip. The kids say it slaps. Okay. Yeah. I think that the movie has slaps. a few moments. Um, I like Clark Kent back on the farm, even though I know it, it it's a cheap version of the farm that they used because they couldn't afford it. It looks t- entirely different, but I like the emotion that that scene kind of plays off and his stubbornness about, hey, I don't want to sell it to a corporate development. I'm, you know, he's trying to hold on to that heritage. Well, it's foreshadowing, right? Yeah, it is 100%. For the newspaper? <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and the cheesy action set pieces in the third act do feel like a canon superhero film. You talked about this, Jose, the slow motion WWE 
is amazing. I, I think it's it's so much fun. The fact that as soon as he kind of pops out the moon, he's like, I got to put that American flag back because America. Um, and then they rush to this conclusion. And they immediately knock it over. And yeah. Yeah. American flag is on the... <laughs> now, is that disrespectful for the American flag to fall down on the moon? Because uh, if it hits the ground on the earth, it's you're supposed to you know, get rid of that flag, but well, it shouldn't have hit the ground. That's the other thing yeah. about this great movie is that all laws of nature and physics are ignored uh, again. So for me, that's a plus in a film sometimes, because if you're like science, what's science? Throw that out the door. <laughs> yes, I'm in. Right. So all of a sudden, like Lois Lane can fly when Superman's not holding her. Why? Who knows? Um, he can, he can, he's because all of a sudden kind of throws her. Like, I guess he throws her. Yeah. yeah I guess okay. maybe. Um, and, and apparently he, Superman's kisses are so strong. He can men in black flashy thingy your memory immediately. Yes. <laughs> Which is amazing. It's an amazing yes. superpower. Uh, every once in a while, the special effects do surprise you. I do. So you mentioned the little bit of the model work when Superman, you know, is gathering up the nuclear missiles and then swings them around, throws them in the sun. <laughs> Some of that stuff looks okay. It's I know you don't like science, Troy. Yeah, but do you know how long it takes for uh, light to travel from the sun to the earth? Um, light traveling at the speed of light, it takes eight minutes. Okay. What okay. About so it? if Superman were to toss something into the sun, yeah, he's not tossing it at the speed of light. Why? But it. <laughs> okay. Well, he's say he Superman. does. It's not a. He's it's Superman. not like throw. And then an immediate cut, and then here we are into the sun explosion. Nope. And sure if anything, does. and if if the movie Sunshine has taught us anything, space. that's gonna like restart the Listen, sun, and nope. maybe something happens to it. Space yeah. in a canon film works entirely different than space in any other yes, film. It does. We know this. It does. Okay. <laughs> uh, the the plot and premise is kind of interesting. So, Brad, you were you were bringing up some of the stories that they've done with Superman. Like, what if Superman? Um, was you know a communist or the russians found him or something like that mm-hmm. uh, or what you know what was it the the original frank miller premise with the dark knight was what if what if superman was kind of working for the government and batman didn't like that right and he was too authoritarian right i think this touches on it and it's an interesting premise like this whole idea of him having to stay out of the the human leadership decisions and all of a sudden he's like screw that little kid wrote to me i'm I agree. I'm going to solve this problem. I think that's really interesting. It's just, they don't do anything with it. Like, yeah. And, and initially they have a cool premise. It's like, well, you can't put your faith in one. We can't put faith in one man. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, are we going to go like anti-Christianity on this film? And of course we don't, but you know, it, it, at, at one point in time, I'm like, wow, they're going to go like, we can't trust. We can't put our faith in one, one man, Jesus Christ. Cause that's basically what Superman is, but they don't. Well, well th- it gets yeah. even it gets even more meta than that. Like, um, <clears throat> so I know that there were supposed to be subplots about Gene Hackman. Like he was after Superman gets rid of all the nuclear arms, he was going to create nuclear arms and then sell them to people and become the bad guy. But he literally says, you know, hey, I didn't really want to get the weapons. Just the threat was enough. And that's basically what the Cold War is about. Right. Threat of uh, the threat of mutual assured destruction basically kept everybody at bay. Like we got our weapons. And just the threat itself. So they even went political in some ways 
with Hackman just saying that one line. It's pretty amazing. So are you saying this movie went woke and that's why it went broke? <laughs> Probably. I'm going to kill myself now. Okay. Sorry. Wow. But, but you know, Nuclear Man's bling bling fingernails, you know, yeah. I got to tell you. His uh, cocaine, they were, those were cocaine those nails. Those are cocaine nails. Yes, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it touches. So it's a good point. I mean, it, it brings it up. So Reeves had the story, or I'm sorry, these two screenwriters had the story. Reeves stole <laughs> he, it. He stole it, yep. Um, yeah. and, and that's an interesting premise. And Hackman touches on it here and there but nothing comes about from it or that story's there. It's just on the cutting room floor, right? Cause you need yeah. your 90 minute film. And if you're canon, you're like, I don't want political intrigue. I don't, I don't open a can of worms with this. I just want Superman slap fighting nuclear man. Uh, and that's what they concentrated on. Right. Yeah. Like Godzilla. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, right. you know, I'm, I'm glad it's you more said of a kaiju that. film. Yep. This is very <laughs> much a, if, if you were to compare Superman four to maybe Godzilla raids again or something like that, or 60, I mean, it's, it's very close yeah. in tone. It is close. Cheapness. Godzilla 1989 or whatever that was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've already mentioned some of the things that are problematic or bad about it, which is the whole movie feels cheap. Um, we talked about the same shot that she's like eight or nine times uh, fighting on the moon. It, it's not just amazing, but what's amazing is they're on a set and it's just a black ceiling and there's not even stars. You can tell it's on a set, which is really cool. <laughs> Every conspiracy theorist that doesn't think we went to the moon is like, look at what Hollywood could do. Show them this goddamn film and be like, really? Because in 1987, we did this and we had <laughs> but it wasn't Kubrick. dollars. If so, Kubrick yeah. directed that scene, it would have been spectacular. Yeah, but like, every scene looks like it's on a soundstage. When you go to the United Nations, you're like, well, that looks like the parking lot of a mall. Mm-hmm. Um, a gym auditorium dressed up. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Even the gym they go to doesn't look like it. It's like you couldn't go to like a Planet Fitness. Yeah, it's John Cryer in his Valley Girl lingo, like soups, dude. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. The oh, I'm breakdancing. Yeah, he's like spinning <laughs> on the floor. Why is he in this movie? I know Why? to, to Why get the young kids. Him and him and uh, Fairchild. They, they wanted two younger actors so that the kids would come in and not just watch like 40 year old men fighting. Right. <laughs> money, money well spent. Yes. Um, yes. I, and the flying effects, the reason why, so this is also interesting too. They, they really went cheap on it because the flying effects they use in this film were actually tested for the 1978 film, but Donner's like, no way it looks terrible. <laughs> But it, what's funny is they went back to this film and said, this is all we can afford. So that's what they used. Um, Good God. And, and when the comedy works, I mean, we talked about it with the headline, you know, drop dead kid, right? I, I do I love that headline. I do laugh. Superman says, blow me, kid. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. The stuff Gene Hackman's doing, I, I think is hilarious. But when the comedy doesn't work, you feel it, right? So the whole double date thing just <laughs> oh that sequence brings the entire movie to a halt and it does make you mad because you go you had gene hackman over here that was chewing up scenery and you opted for this scene over that um which is a little annoying but i understand what they're trying to do because it does feel like that 40s slapstick um screwball comedy element that they were kind of trying to throw in there for the cheap laughs along with the, the cheap thrills, right. With the Superman flying. Yeah. It's very Cary Grant in a way. It is. Um, and you know what, in a, with a, with a better director and even a better script, I think, I think Christopher Reeve could have pulled that off because I've seen him do that in noises off or I've seen him do that in uh, switching channels, Burt Reynolds. Right. Yeah. 
so he he can do it. It's just this one just seems oddly paced, and um, I'm not saying it doesn't fit in this film. The execution was bad, and again, could be poor choice editing. You know, Reeve just looks embattled. I mean, just just going over what ha- was happening behind the scenes, he just looks really like tired of studio politics and producers and Canon's shenanigans and and trying to act, but you can, I feel like you can see it weighing on him in a lot of scenes. Well, and, and it was, and he was not getting along with Margot Kidder either. She had mm-hmm. a problem with him on this film because she called him an egomaniac. Oh, really? Cause their chemistry is on fire. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> also, I don't understand why if they're trying to do this love triangle thing, Hemingway gets all the like Bob Mackie sparkle shit. Yeah. And then Kidder gets dressed in this like Annie Hall meets Ann Taylor, like, like masculine slash somewhat feminine. Anyway, she looks awful in the shit she's wearing. I, I don't know. I would go after Margot too. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But I, Hey, I fall in the same case. So when, when I sit down and watch like the old eighties GI Joe cartoons, I, cause I'm, I'm more of, I like that kind of schlock, right? Even the master's universe, you kind of go in knowing that, okay, this is just going to be dumb and you're, you're having fun, but you're laughing along with it. And those cartoons are just cheap, right? They're super cheap. Like Brad said, you you could watch these cartoons and you're seeing the seven or eight different shots, but man, every time Cobra commander speaks, I'm giddy. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's just hilarious to me. (laughs) Yes. And, and for me, this film, I'm going to say something kind of controversial here. The first film is iconic. It is one of the best films, in my opinion, of the 70s, hands down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second one, and I'm going to throw the Donner cut in there too. When you watch those two back to back, and I don't know if you watched both of them. I, I watched those two. The Donner cut, I think, is an improvement because it's a little bit more serious. The Lester mm-hmm. comedy is definitely there in the second one, but I think they're both great films. They're, they're not to the heights of the first one. The third one is a Richard Pryor film, not a Superman movie. Yeah. There are things in it that I think are really creepy and interesting, especially the whole sort of supercomputer, which feels like a brainiac um, callback. Yeah. Uh, that, that whole last sequence, you're like, what is going on here? I, I think it's super interesting, but it's, it's still, it's Richard Pryor driven. I would watch four over three. If I were ranking them, it would go one, two, four, and three for me because mm. I'm, I'm not saying three and four are to the heights of one and two, but I, I kind of look at three and four to the same way where I go, I have fun with both of them, but it's always a list. It's a battle between what's good and versus uh, what's bad. And you can just make a list of it in both films. And for me, four wins out a little bit over three just because it it's a canon film. Like I go in going, well, this is a canon super Superman film. <laughs> yeah. It is exactly yeah. a canon Superman film in three, three kind of bores me a little bit more so than four actually. You know what? I, I would tend to agree with that take. They're both really bad. Yeah. I, I I'll, I'll say they're both problematic. I don't, I don't think they're terrible films. I just, I, I'm kind of like Jose. I, I have a soft spot for them and I like watching them. But if it's like, well, you can only watch three or you could only watch four, I'd probably watch four. Yeah, me too. I do I, love two, though. I think I do love two. I have not seen the Donner cut. I need to get oh. on that. 
but um two has always been my favorite just because it's more actiony i guess yeah yeah i i don't know two two i think actually has um some of the problems that are in three in terms of lester's directing i don't don't think it's fantastic i would agree i i I have a question so in like a year is everyone's teeth and hair falling out because they're around nuclear man and like they have like (laughs) cancer and good point Again, we're talking about this the see, science of this film. But you're bringing science man, in. It just doesn't I just work, wanna, I just want to see Gene Hackman's hair go back even further. Yeah. Oh, there, speaking of which, there was another weird scene when 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 Nuclear Man finally comes to visit like Luthor. And by the way, I love when he when he has the he's like kiss my ring kind of thing when he walks up to. Him. But he's saying goodbye to this woman who's dressed like Marie Antoinette. Do we know what the <laughs> hell that's about? Again, like, what? It's what are no you doing, sir? Wacky. Are you role yeah. playing? Is she a hooker? Is this like your maid? I don't. Know. He's he's into like Victorian play. Yeah. Well, there's, I guess. yeah. There's so again. This is the thing I kind of love about <laughs> I this film. About that. So weird. There are these weird things that happen where um, they you'll look in the background and somebody's doing something. You're like, what the hell is going on yeah. back there with those two women um, that Luther yes. has around? Uh, it's oh yeah, even, like Trixie and Rixie or whatever, yeah, something. Or whatever they say, yeah. it, Roxy and, and Boxy. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's fabulous, man. I mean, the the Gene Hackman stuff is so much fun. Um, and well, what can, happens to the three arms dealers? Uh, <laughs> they just never show back up. One of whom is Jim Broadbent, which is yeah, even weirder. I'm like, okay, Cloud Atlas, Moulin Rouge, you know, whatever. Here you are, Jim. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Well, in in the ending, I mean, here's a here's an eclipse. He falls asleep in space. She starts to fall while he's holding on to her, and then he puts him in a nuclear reactor. And all of a sudden, the the lights all over the world are extra powered up again. Everyone's <laughs> teeth and hair are falling out. In <laughs> it is Chernobyl all over again. It's I don't know. I that element of it is fan- like I said. I. There are fun things about it if you walk in going, this is a canon Superman film. Um, It's fun. I mean, as much as I love canon, though, it's like Superman doesn't deserve this. Yeah. I I mean, Captain America didn't deserve it either. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Captain America didn't deserve it. And Albert Pune got a hold of that, you know, as a result of this. Yeah. And Cyborg is fucking awesome, too. Like, you know, the the sequel that was supposed to be of of. uh, Masters of the universe. And then like, so I'm not saying like they can't turn, I will say water into wine, but like they can like do some things, but I feel like Superman is like, he's on the Mount Rushmore of superheroes and to have a $17 million budget just feels, I don't disagree with that, but here's my take on it. I mean, we just got done talking about masters of the universe and for somebody who has a beloved, um, property, and you get a fan that just go and Zoe did an amazing job of breaking down like why he doesn't like, I mean, he's super passionate about that. And and I agree with that from a fan perspective. So if you can divorce yourself of that masters universe is a fun film, but it's bonkers. It's so bonkers. Yeah. And and even that source material is bonkers. And they, they went an entirely different direction than the source material, which makes it even more bonkers. And that's Canon, right? So with Superman, if you can do the same thing and go, and again, this is a guy not saying, 
hey, I'm, I'm not a huge Superman fan, but I love the films, right? I, I still have fun with this one. But but I can also say when that new Indiana Jones movie comes out, I'm going to be super critical of it because that yeah. that is one that I mean I didn't I didn't just love the original three films. I have the 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 role playing games. I have the choose your own adventure books. I have all the novelizations. I have every Marvel Comics edition. What meant Indiana Jones was uh, you know along with Star Wars just a beloved character. And so when you're close to that, 100 percent you're going to go crazy when they get the details wrong. But again, um, if you can set your expectations correctly for this one, I, I think Superman 4 is a fun film if you find Masters of the Universe fun. Agreed. And by the way, from that episode, I have to say, um, I thought about like, what are the best canon movies? Um, and I'd say there's a tie between, for me anyway, between Invasion USA and Breakin. Oh, God, Breakin's so good. <laughs> I think those represent. I need, I need more ninjas. I need more ninjas in my canon films. So yeah, I'm 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 a ninja guy too. But my gosh, I I I love the fact that my son was asking about the break in movies and rap, and he's like, "Do do we have these?" I'm like, "Oh, son, the, <laughs> these are going to be some uh, backyard watches." One hundred percent. Who says kid dropped dead? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. What what else do you guys have on this one? Uh I don't know. I can't. I think I think we've kind of ripped it apart. <laughs> enough uh well i will say this in certain shots his cod piece looks wildly larger than it should be um yeah well i don't know if it's weird. that or the harness because i know there was some problems with the harness too that made his uh his waist area look weird and i i think i read too that for the superman parts maybe even the clark kent stuff he he had to wear hair piece because at yes that you, point, you can see the you can see his hair piece very obviously in certain shots it, yeah, it's a mess. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm i going to hate to ask this question, but Brad, we just got done talking about Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Is it a bomb? Uh, absolutely. It is a bomb. And and just, just to refresh my memory, you said Masters of the Universe was not a bomb. I did. Okay. Just make sure. Just want to call that out. Uh, and I stand by both statements. <laughs> okay, man. Jose, where do you land on this one? It's not a bomb. It's a fun watch. And uh, I, too, was stung by seeing Masters of the Universe and being like, where's the rest of what I remember from the cartoon? I've come around to it, and I love Masters of the Universe. Superman deserves better, Troy. <laughs> hey, uh, I don't know. Um, I, look, if anything, this has got me really wanting to explore more Superman stuff. Um, now you guys watched all three. So I watched all three plus the Donner cut and I managed to squeeze in one of the DC animated films real quick. Um, any thoughts on just the, the four Superman films or, or five, if you throw the Richard Donner films, do you, do you have any thoughts in general about the series? I, I do because I, I said last week that I wasn't the biggest Superman fan of, especially of those of this run. After watching that first one in 4K and seeing it, it is pretty spectacular. And it's a beautiful film in 4K. It is a beautiful film. And the Atmos on it is amazing. Yeah. Paul Kand and all. I mean, just I think it's it's a film because it came out in 1978 and it gets outshadowed by an, another film that came out in 78. It it 
it definitely is something that I think people should go back to because I had the memory that it wasn't as good and it was campy like these. And it's, it's not, and it's a, uh, it's a really brilliant film. Awesome. Yeah. So I will eat, I will eat my words on, on that one. That's awesome. Now, I That's think two, two, you can kind of see it on unra- like a series just starts unraveling so fast. Yes. Um, but yeah, I but, love the seventies filmmaking in Superman. Like I, revisiting it i was just like oh my god it's 70s filmmaking through and through with with a pop culture like object or source or whatever it's fantastic but then when you also dive into how like brando was like i'm not memorizing lines i'm doing whatever and then you know all of it just the whole making of it it's 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 the reason why you go to the movies man it's it's a vision it's wonderful it's great i happen to love too it it does unravel from one it's clearly just a couple levels under, but I also enjoyed that it was a different type of movie. They sort of ramped up the comedy and ramped up the action. I dug it. Three is kind of a mess, but it goes more quote unquote comic booky. Um, I agree. It's Richard Pryor almost overtakes the entire film and the computer stuff, especially, I mean, as a kid, I had nightmares. I was afraid the computer was going to swallow me up and turn me into a cyborg like that woman. Um, that that was some scary shit, man. It was <laughs> some scary three. shit. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, four. Yeah, I I love four. It's like a quick cheeseburger, like Jurassic Park three, which was ninety minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like Jurassic Park Loved three. It. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't add anything outside of even if you're not a fan of the series, uh, but you want to you want to revisit the seventy eight uh, version of Superman. Please go and watch it in four K. And if you have the sound set up for Atmos, um, that John Williams score and the effects, uh, especially towards the end when you, you know you got sort of the the dam breaking the volcano. I mean, it, it's an it's a great and aggressive Atmos soundtrack. I think I texted you like I'm I was only watching the regular Blu-ray of it, and on my sound bar when the first credit swoops in for for um, Superman one, yeah, like. I got scared. I thought something was like zooming over my head. I can only imagine Dol- Dolby Atmos. It's it's fantastic. It gave me goosebumps. And then I, I was surprised how emotional I got during the first one. Uh, just not even just the Paul Kent stuff, but even towards the end when he makes that decision to kind of interfere. The movie does a beautiful job of sort of making Superman make that choice at the end of the film. Like you, you totally understand where his frustration comes from. Uh, and once again, Gene Hackman, Ned Beatty. I mean, that trio of villains uh, is is fantastic. Um, first one, Ned Beatty and Valerie Prime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, totally, so good. But but then what I loved about two was that it really exposed that here is somebody who's all powerful, but you know what his weakness is? His love of humans. And, yeah. and they exploit that. Zod is like, he loves the humans, and then you know whatever they do, whatever. That was a terrible. Terrence Stamp, but whatever. No, no, it was good. It was good. It's better than that Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <What? Yeah. laughs> hey, um, real quick. So this weekend, I had the distinct pleasure of uh, my my bestest friend Kevin uh, for for my birthday. He's like, hey, we're we're just going out Saturday, and um, he bought tickets for this pub crawl. So we start at ten and. It, we, we hit a lot of different bars and we had a bus drive us around, et cetera. But as we're going to the last one, we're, we're passing by my favorite place 
in Bel Air, which is Collector's Corner. And Ooh. as we're going through, I see our good friend Caesar is working in there. And uh, I, I had to stop and do a man on the street with Caesar because I knew we were talking about Superman. And and Caesar knows everything, uh, not just about Asian films, but comic books. Uh, he Anything he tells me to go watch, I immediately go watch. So I, I just did a little quick interview with Caesar and said, um, hey, I'm, I'm not the biggest Superman fan, but, you know, help me out. If I really want to get into it, where do I go? So I recorded some audio of this, but full disclosure, this is 12 beers and one oh glass of monkey oh, shoulder yeah. later. So if you're like, hey, is, is Troy kind of sound like he's like, yes, a little bit. Um, and we had to cut this short because I totally forgot they had the Star Wars arcade game in the back. So I had to go play that while slightly intoxicated. But, but here we go. This is our good friend Caesar um, doing some Superman recommendations. Okay, Caesar, working in the comic book store. I'm not a huge Superman fan, but okay. I love the Christopher Reeves films. All right. If I wanted to get into comics, where should I go? I'm going to say All Star Superman. Um, there's a very good book recently that came out called Space Age. Uh, Space Age. Mm-hmm. So either of those two, I think, are, okay. are good ones. So just those two will get you. So classic Superman. What do you think about that? Uh, well, older Superman, I think he he can be. There's, you know, I think there's an element of like old school Superman comic books that you know I like, but the movie kind of has kind of um, nobility that they bring yeah. to that character that might be missing from from the from like the comics of the same period. Yeah, you know, the comics I think they're fun, uh, but they tend to also um, uh, articulate this. I, I like the word nobility. Mm. So yeah, so um. It, like the comics from around the same time as the movie um, didn't reflect that. He's more of a, maybe more of like a fun character. Okay. I guess you could say. I wouldn't have got that from the films. Always has a, you know, like a dapper remark, very similar to like, kind of like the George Reeves style. Oh, like, you know, like episodically, you know, he always like, Oh, you know, and he makes a little wink or side comment to like, or something at the end just to wrap everything up almost like a, you know, pre David Caruso CSI type of thing. Oh, nice. (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, he the comics uh, don't really don't really get into all that because you know the movie kind of goes through history both with like Krypton mm-hmm. and Smallville. But like at that point, you know, Krypton and Smallville are just behind them. You know, uh, most of the yeah, comics, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So you get that um, kind of almost biblical style character um, in the movie, which isn't something that's present in a lot of the comic books at the time. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's here's my question. So I hear this complaint about Superman all the time. If you talk about him from a uh, superhero perspective, mm-hmm. how could you just do anything with a character that's so all powerful? Okay. Well, also Superman, I think, is an example that tackles that kind of quandary that's kind yeah. of baffled a lot of writers over the years. Yeah. The plot of All-Star Superman is in the midst of saving astronauts that are close to the sun, he exposed himself to, um, he kind of overloads himself with like yellow sun radioactive energy. Mm -hmm. So um, everyone knows that the thing that makes him stronger is yellow yellow, uh, sunlight, but he is now stronger than he's ever been but his cells are exploding because mm-hmm. like the sunlight is over overloading it. Yeah. So the point of the entire series, that mini series is that 
he's died, you know, basically of cancer now. And because of exposure yeah, to and the his sun. goal is to tie up loose ends and make the world capable of Living saving itself of- when he's not there. Yeah. Oh, that's why it's a great series. So it's a, it's a book that's about inspiring people and moments of Superman showing not only like, you know, his love of his Kryptonian like heritage, but also his love as, as an earthling. Yeah. Ah, there you go. All-star Superman. That's what everybody should go out and, and watch. And, uh, don't, don't drink 12 beers and then a couple of shots of monkey shine and expect to carry on a, a decent conversation in public. <laughs> I was just about to ask, does uh day drinking pub crawl Troy action figure come with or without the beer goggles? <laughs> oh boy. It's a rough day. It was a fun day. One of the most fun days I've had in a long time. But uh And happy birthday by the way. Oh thank you, man. But um no that little that little conversation is why I had to squeeze in. So if if you don't like reading DC animated actually did a film version of all-star superman um now what what i didn't play is uh caesar's uh, comparison of of like the graphic novel to the animated film because troy was struggling to stand up in the comic book store um plus he got distracted <laughs> by that star wars game but uh yeah apparently the graphic novel is fantastic and and even caesar says he reads it about once a year it's that oh, good so it's wow. he, he considers it like top 10 material but the, I, I find the DC animated film to be very good too. But I've never read the the graphic novel, so I'm going to go back and read that. Have, have you read you, it, Caesar? I'm going to have to go out to Collector's Corner and and visit. Yes, if you're in the Maryland area, Parkville or Bel Air, Caesar works both of them. But um, if he's working, stop, say hello to him. He he knows everything. I'm just going to put that out there. He knows everything pop culture, especially Asian yes. films. Um, but Brad, have you read All Star Superman? I've not. Okay. Well, I, now I know what to get you for Christmas. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to take all the data and put it in our little AI uh, software. How's that sound? Yes. Like? I can't wait. Is it going to turn me into a cyborg? I, I it could. It could. I'm a little scared now after watching Superman 3, the power that we got here. All right. Here we go with Robo Reviewer 1000. Troy and Brad's check cleared the bank, so I guess I will give my thoughts on Superman 4. Beep. Boop. Beep. As a devoted comic book nerd, I feel compelled to share my thoughts on Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, a film that holds a special place in the hearts of many Superman fans. Released in 1987, this movie promised an exciting adventure that would explore the core essence of the Man of Steel. However, Despite its noble intentions, it ultimately fell short of the mark. From a comic book perspective, the storyline of Superman 4 had tremendous potential. The central theme of Superman's quest to rid the world of nuclear weapons resonated strongly with the character's moral compass and his commitment to justice. Superman has always been an icon of hope, and the idea of him trying to eliminate the world's most dangerous weapons was a concept that comic book fans eagerly anticipated. Regrettably, the execution of this concept left much to be desired. The film suffered from a low budget, which was evident in the lackluster special effects and overall production quality. The absence of a capable director and experienced screenwriters further hampered the movie's potential. As a result, 
the narrative felt disjointed and failed to deliver the impactful and thought-provoking exploration of nuclear disarmament that fans had hoped for. One of the most disappointing aspects for a comic book enthusiast was the portrayal of the iconic Superman character. Christopher Reeve, who had previously portrayed the Man of Steel with such charisma and grace, appeared to struggle with the material in this installment. The writing failed to capture the essence of Superman's complexity, reducing him to a one-dimensional superhero without the depth and internal conflicts that make him so relatable. Moreover, the introduction of new characters and subplots felt forced and underdeveloped. Nuclear Man, the primary antagonist, lacked the depth and gravitas that a worthy adversary for Superman should possess. The villain's motivations were unclear and his character design seemed like a hasty attempt to emulate the comic book aesthetic without capturing the essence of a compelling villain. On a positive note, Superman 4 did attempt to address some essential Superman themes, such as his sense of responsibility for the world and the ethical dilemmas he faces as a super-powered being. These moments provided glimpses of the comic book's true potential, reminding us why Superman has endured as one of the most beloved superheroes of all time. However, these moments were fleeting, overshadowed by the film's overall lackluster execution. In conclusion, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace falls short of meeting the expectations of a comic book nerd. While the film had a promising premise and a chance to explore compelling themes, its low budget, weak writing, and subpar execution ultimately led to a disappointing cinematic experience. For true fans of The Man of Steel, this film remains a missed opportunity to see the superhero's iconic qualities translated successfully onto the big screen. End review. Powering down. <laughs> uh, okay. He sounds like robotic Randy. <laughs> he, he, oh, he does. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think Robo Reviewer got it wrong. I, I, I am I proud that this AI thing thinks it's a comic book enthusiast. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Like a uh, pro zombie activist. Pro zombie. Yes. <laughs> From the Dead Heat episode. That was magnificent. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got I to gotta say, though, I think he misses the mark. It's a canon Superman film. It's supposed yeah. to be fun. It's yeah. Too analytical. Too analytical. Too. All right, Brad, uh, you know, it, we're, we're in the midst of the summer movie season. I feel like we should be doing summer movies, um, but we're, we're going to do something a little different next week, right? We are. What do are we I doing? Just, what? Yeah, you, you, you're scaring me. I'm like, am I, am I saying the right one? Yeah, we're doing 1980s, uh, 1980, uh, The Ninth Configuration. Yeah, directed by William Freakin, right? Uh, no, no, it's a Blatty. William it's a Blatty. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Got that wrong. Yeah. Um, Another William, although associated with William Friedkin because Blatty wrote The Exorcist, which Friedkin adapted into. That's it. right. And then Blatty did number three. That's right. Correct. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm still recovering from the weekend, so that's my yeah. excuse. Um, <laughs> it'll be interesting. I, I I was surprised this showed up on the list and... Um, I'm, I haven't seen this for years, so I'm, I'm super excited to revisit this. I think there is a Blu-ray out there, but it might be out of print now. I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's readily available, yeah. I think, on streaming, though. Yeah, so you can find it. Yeah, you if you're playing along. Uh, we do have one piece of feedback. Speaking of Randy, he, he did send something in. 
Yes. So I'm going to read this real quick. It is from Randy, and he says, Zola, one of the most fun films of 2021, is $5.2 million on a $5 million budget bomb-worthy. Uh, so that's his recommendation for us to watch 2021 Zola. Have you seen it, Brad? Yeah, it was one of my favorite films of that year. It was so funny and so amazing. Plus, my future husband, Nick Braun, is in it. I think it was in my top 10. I think in my letterbox, I had it in my top 10 for 21. All right. Well, that that definitely means we're going to have to talk about it. So we'll add it to the list. That one's definitely coming up then. Uh, let's see what else is going on, Brad. Should we talk about some of the other um, things that Jose's doing? Jose, you want to you want to oh. kind of pitch what what's going on to watch Get Plus? Yes, I think by the time this comes out, well, we did recently the documentary Living with Chucky about uh, Tony Gardner, who's a special effects guy who came onto the Chucky series. His daughter um, Kyra did a documentary about essentially living with Chucky and being around. Uh, the making of these films. Uh, it's it's a great little documentary. It's on uh, Screenbox. You can also find it on Blu-ray. And then by the time this comes out, Fast X or Fast 10 will probably be up on Watch Skip Plus. And I f- think you guys might or might not know how I feel about this, but <laughs> I don't you know. Loved you'll it. have to listen. I know you loved it. Uh, you'll have to listen. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to hear that one. Uh, Brad, what else is going on? Not much, man. Oh, so it, you have hinted it was your birthday. I just wanted to say happy birthday, buddy. I love you. I uh, I love Aww. doing this podcast with you. I love getting to talk to you every day. I love being your friend. Um, yeah, man, you're one of the best people I know, and I'm glad you had a good day. I had an awesome day. Uh, it would have been more awesomer with everybody, um, you know, here. We'll do it again. But yeah, we'll 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 make that happen. Uh, I do, I do want to say a big thank you to everybody who did send in like birthday wishes on social media, et cetera. I, I certainly appreciate it. The, the whole idea of this podcast is just community and, um, it, it's just, it's fun knowing all of you and, uh, interacting with all of you. So please keep sending in your suggestions, keep participating in the conversation. If you're interested in any of the films that we are watching, go out and see them and send in your thoughts and, and Brad, how do they do that? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com or head to our website, which is not a bomb podcast.com and hit the contact us button or look for us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah. And the other thing I would ask of everybody is, you know, share the podcast. If you're a fan of it, if you're a fan of Watch Get Plus, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, you know, especially those three, uh, get it in everybody else's ears. And if you have time, you know, go to iTunes, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. That is kind of how other people learn to find us is if we get some good five-star reviews, then, you know, we, we get circulated a little bit. So if you have it in your heart to do that for us, that would be awesome. But uh, even if you don't do that, you know, jump on social media and play along with us. Cause we'd love to hear your thoughts on things like Superman four. Um, two of us seem to have a lot of fun with it. If anybody's in our camp, you know, write in. If if you're in Brad's camp, then keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Brad, uh, I think I mentioned a few podcasts. Who else should they listen to? Yeah, um, we have the VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Backlook Cinema Podcast, and the Mixtape Podcast. Oh, and Raiders of the Podcast as well. Um, I've been going back and forth with Kevin. We're going to add him to our list as well. But 
Kevin, thanks for the shout out um, on your latest YouTube video. We appreciate it. Everyone has been really great in promoting our podcast. Choi and I don't do as well as we want to sometimes, but um, yeah, other, it seems like other people really kind of pick up our slack. So we appreciate it. Yeah. The, the other kind of shout out I want to do is um, the mixtape podcast. So they have a big event where they just hit episode 100. Um, we had a chance to kind of hang out with them a little bit at the last Warhound, And I got to tell you that podcast in terms of content, it's all over the place. It, it is a true mixtape. So you can get film reviews. You can get your nostalgia fix. You can definitely learn a ton about music and great genres of music. And they end up getting a lot of great interviews too of artists. So just head on over there. Um, we love them. Congratulations on episode 100. That is a huge deal. Yeah, and uh, especially for all the work they put into it, too. I mean, we sit around and watch a movie for a week and then we get on and talk about it. Those guys do a lot of reaching out to celebrities, um, musicians, um, to other podcasts. And uh, they they put a really good product together. So, you know, it's it's hard to listen to everything. And so sometimes on podcasts, I don't know how you guys are, I jump around to certain episodes, but there are some podcasts that I listen to every episode because even if I haven't seen the film or I don't know what the band is, um, I, I like the personalities. So watch Get Plus, Gentleman's Guide, definitely there, Night of Living Podcast. But Mixtape is definitely one of those podcasts that, hey, for 100 episodes, I'm, I'm listening to every one of them because they're just a fun listen. Um, and nobody does a better Bane impersonation than than those guys. You got you got to go find that episode. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Uh, okay. You will live on, brother. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. But I don't know what the quote was. I was born by, in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. by the way, put me in the Kevin fan club. I love me some Kevin from Raiders of the Podcast. Yes. Amazing podcast. Uh, I think that's it. I think it's a trap. What do you guys think? It is a wrap. Go watch Superman. Superman deserves better. Oh, boy. Uh, get, get you a t shirt. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for playing along. Come back next week when we get all serious and talk about the ninth configuration. Just go read what that movie's about. It's kind of trippy. And I'm I'm super excited about what that conversation um like we're gonna go down some rabbit holes. It's it's gonna be a blast. And uh you know, tell us what you think about Superman 4 right into us, but we'll catch you next week. Don't lose your head.